Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. This week's interview is with Trevor McFedris, who is at this growing intersection of crypto and culture. Trevor is one of the creators behind Lil Michaela. Lil Michaela is an 18-year-old aspiring pop star with almost 3 million Instagram followers, striking deals with Calvin Klein and Prada. But what's more surprising is that she's not actually human. She's a computer-generated character. The company that Trevor co-founded, called Broad, is behind her image and life story. Trevor talks about the initial goal behind Lil Michaela, which was to leverage the power of celebrity and software to create compelling narratives which would have a positive impact in the world. We also talked about how Will Michaela will start to use crypto and Web3 tools to connect with her fans and continue monetizing the value she has created. The first step will be to create secondary markets on open blockchain exchanges for images associated with her. The first such drop will be on Super Rare. Something to note is that in the interview, Trevor says it would be on October 30th or 31st, but they've since changed the date to November 17th, so you're still on time to participate. In the future, even things like follows and likes can be sold on these open markets. And there can also be governance models where her fans could, for example, vote on her narrative based on how much of her tokens they own. Trevor also talked about how he's leveraging crypto himself with his Friends with Benefits token, which allows access into this community of token holders. And now he's experimenting with that community and the ways to increase engagement. It's all mind-blowing stuff. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. Sapper wants to be your hub for decentralized finance at sapper.fi. Sapper allows you to connect to as many Ethereum wallets as you'd like and instantly see a snapshot of your DeFi portfolio, including all your DeFi assets, liabilities, and how money is invested across yield farming, liquidity pools, lending, staking, and more. You can also use DeFi SAPs by Sapper to sap in and out of liquidity positions in Curve, Balancer, Uniswap, and Yearn Finance. Whether you're new to DeFi or a master, try Sapper on Ethereum today at sapper.fi. NIR Protocol is now fully decentralized and live on mainnet. NIR is a scalable, public, proof-of-stake blockchain that plays nicely with Ethereum, but offers higher performance, much lower fees, and a smooth user experience. Smart contracts are rewarded with 30% of the gas fees they generate. There is no limit on the network's capacity with one second block time. With this, NIR is creating a built-in business model that scales with usage. Find out more at NIR.org. So Rare is a global fantasy football game where you can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed cards on Ethereum. They've partnered with over 100 football clubs, including Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, and Atletico Madrid. Try with 10 free cards by signing up to So Rare with the link SoRare.com slash question mark referrer equals the defiant. That's SoRare.com slash question mark R-E-F-E-R-R-E-R equals the defiant. 
here we are with Trevor McFedries. He's the co-founder of Brad, a startup working on the intersection of tech and media. And he's also the creator of Lil Michaela, an AI-generated influencer with 2.8 million Instagram followers. Trevor, it's so great to have you in the Defiant podcast. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Yay. Um, okay, so before we get into all the craziness of like the intersection of crypto and culture and media, um, I want to talk a little bit more about your background, which is really remarkable. Um, so before founding Broad, um, you know, you, you were also known as a young skeeter and worked as a DJ and producer with superstars like Katy Perry, Steve Aoki. Um, you performed at Lollapalooza, Coachella. I mean, pretty amazing stuff. So how did that transition happen from being at kind of the pinnacle of the music industry and then founding uh, Broad and, and this um, Michaela uh, persona or character? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it, it probably requires giving some background on kind of like who I am, my journey, and I'll try to do it with as much brevity as possible. But um, you know, I grew up in uh, Davenport, Iowa, a relatively small town in the Midwest. And I moved to LA when I was 16. Mm. And when I was living in Iowa, I was kind of writing code, playing in bands, you know, uh, doing things that kids do as hobbies. But in Iowa, that was like never really, I couldn't, that wasn't a career. It wasn't a place mm. you could see yourself down the road. And when I moved to LA, I met these friends whose parents owned companies and, you know, were thinking about technology or thinking about media and fashion, design, whatever it was. And I recognized like I could potentially do those things and I wanted to do those things. And um, in Iowa, I was playing sports and I was playing sports. I actually got recruited out of high school to play sports in college. And I ended up doing that for a couple of years and I quit. And when I moved back to LA, I was, um, you know, basically doing web design. It was like a web dev and kind of like doing like software stuff for a living. And then nights and weekends was kind of DJing and making beats for like little rappers around town and like making house music stuff just for fun. Mm. And kind of out of nowhere got signed to Interscope Records, um, wow. was like, you know, uh, basically ended up signed to Jimmy Iovine's label when Interscope was changing quite a bit. The record industry was getting eaten alive by the internet. And because mm. I knew a little bit about the internet, I started getting pulled into rooms and getting asked questions. And for the first time, kind of started to establish myself as this conduit between, you know, media and technology, really music and technology. Mm. And that was probably 2008, 2009. And um, I ended up leaving that band and producing music and DJing. And while I was doing that, I was like building little uh, growth tools for artists, whether they were like light gates for Facebook or other little, you know, other little bits and bobs. And um, real long story short, I opened for Katy Perry in 2010, 11 on the California Dreams Tour. And while I was there, got approached by Spotify to come join and help launch this thing from Sweden in, into the U.S. And, um, and, and working with Spotify, really fell in love with Lean Startup and how different that was from what I had known in the music business. Um, I think like my experience in music was like spend five years and five million dollars making a thing and like just push it off of a cliff and like hope people like it versus software, like making this product, shipping it, talking to customers, iterating into a thing people love. And so the dream for me was to say, okay, like, was there a way to kind of integrate that kind of, uh, you know, software based approach of shipping product into what I was doing with music. And then in parallel, I was, um, you know, really thinking a lot about media and the way it shapes people's hearts and minds and then fall in love with this television program, Will and Grace here in the States and seeing all of this data around Will and Grace being largely responsible for gay marriage in the U S 
and then all this data on the Jeffersons and the work that they had done for the way people, the way black people were viewed in America. And so in my head, uh, and this is kind of skipping ahead quite a bit, like I started thinking about wouldn't it be great if you could use the power of narrative, the power of kind of celebrity and fan artist relationships with the power of software and its scalability and try to create these narratives that could, you know, really outcompete Trump narratives or Kardashian narratives, whatever's dominating the mind share of young people and try to create these narratives were as compelling as entertaining, but also imbue these kind of like moral themes or these things that I think could build a more uh, tolerant or empathetic world. And that was kind of the pipe dream. It started looking like a modern Marvel or Disney. And, you know, here we are a few years later, like with these characters telling stories and getting to hang out on cool podcasts like yours. It's <laughs> awesome. Oh my God. I love that story. Okay. So the, the kind of genesis of Michaela was this idea of creating compelling narratives for people to consume and which would have hopefully some positive impact in the world, right? Um, so, okay, so if you can introduce Michaela to um, my listeners, like who actually is her? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if, you're, if you're listening at home, it's probably more fun as a visual experience and you can mm -hmm. right away go to like Instagram or TikTok and type in L-I-L-M-I-Q-U-E-L-A. And what you'll see is, um, you know, a CGI character who has this narrative backstory and that she's a sentient robot, you know, navigating Los Angeles. She's programmed to be 19 forever. And she has these dreams and these ambitions of becoming like a global pop star and like sharing her story and her journey, really this journey of otherness with the world. Um, and it started, you know, years ago where it was just her and other, other characters in the universe. There's kind of like an evil henchman who's tried to kind of manipulate her and originally created her. And it really has all the trappings of like a Marvel universe or Disney universe, just instead of being told in, in, in film or in comic books, it's kind of told primarily on those platforms. So how, how did, does it work? Like, did you initially kind of sketch this character out and, and like, did you write out the, the whole story of Michaela and, and now you're basically kind of executing it or is it more like free form? Like sometimes you introduce new characters and new storylines. Um, and, and also like I've seen, she's, she's very much kind of, um, like, a, like a fashion influencer, right? So how, how does that kind of play into all this, um, kind of narrative? Yeah, well? there's so many good questions there. I think, um, you know, we, you know, our characters really is more like characters and, uh, probably less like influencers. We get that language a lot. And I think, um, no, it's like a Michaela, like Carrie from Sex in the City or something. We're like, Manolo Blahniks are kind of secondary to the story, but they are, it is really important, I suppose, in the kind of like grand scheme of things. Um, all that is to say, like, yes, there's kind of like the, the, there's, there's a narrative arc that um, we're seeing ourselves through. And, you know, very early on, I was lucky to have like J.J. Abrams and the Bad Robot team kind of bring us into the fold and, and be great champions. And in talking with them, you know, exploring ideas of how television programs over the years have come to pass and how like narratives come to pass you want to be able to be agile because there's situations where like, you know, a guest star everyone will love and they'll effectively become the main star. And some of you think it's gonna be the main star might not be as well received and will kind of become more of a tertiary character or something. And so what we try to do is think about what are some of the major themes and through lines you want to talk about. And then we basically also create space to be reactive to things that are happening in the world. And that's part of a more macro shift in entertainment that I'm, I'm a believer in this idea of we had a more broadcast world where you have writers kind of hand lines to someone and they deliver those lines, and that's kind of what made them famous. And now we have this world where there are there are char characters or personalities or public figures whose real skill set is in, is in being dynamic and being interactive. You know, if you if you talk shit to Cardi B, she's going to talk shit right back in a very real 
and uh, a not very contrived way. And I think the authenticity comes through and allows people to like, feel like they're a part of who she is and, and really know who she is. And that's what we try to convey as well. Um, that's amazing. And, and I mean, it really shows because like I was checking out her um, bio, her, her Instagram just now and saw that like she has Black Lives Matter on, on the bio. So that's obviously kind of a way that you're kind of, I don't know, reacting or, or, or just like incorporating um, the outside world into, into Michaela too. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we it, think a lot about that. I think a lot about even like, pardon me for interrupting, um, okay. you know, with the X-Men or kind of Marvel characters, like, you know, they were commenting, they, they were having this commentary on the cold war or mm-hmm. kind of these like socio-political issues that very relevant, very relevant to their time. Um, one of the great things about Michaela, she's been like, you know, advocating for Black Lives Matter for, for years now. And I think, really took a position that was unpopular with some fans mm. and in doing so uh, I think you know got a lot of respect from other artists who have seen you know a, a lot of mainstream artists shy away from taking those kind of polarizing positions traditionally and you know, I'm actually quite thankful that this year has forced a lot of people to come forward and really express where they stand on issues that, that really matter and really affect people. So the idea for Michael is to really have an opinion and to be like out there with with those opinions. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, there's been a lot of uh, really interesting perks to having this interconnected world. But mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges is that, you know, when everyone can talk to everyone in real time, uh, artists who are oftentimes, like, sensitive and kind of feel deeply aren't as interested in the kind of confrontation that maybe taking a position that is unpopular or maybe directly impacts one of the other artists' lives uh, can kind of, like, present and, or kind of create. And so... You know, I always kind of joke that like Michaela doesn't need to run into like Taylor Swift with the VMAs so she can have like a really strong opinion about mm-hmm. Taylor Swift. Um, but that applies to like the world as well. Um, you know, she's taken really strong positions on a lot of topics. I think a lot of artists wouldn't because of brand concerns or whatever else. And that's mm-hmm. just a position that we want to take as an organization because this is like a, this is a you know, we're like a mission mission based organization. And we have some real goals and outcomes that we want to create versus just sitting on the sidelines trying to cash checks or whatever. So, and, and that brings me to the question of like, what actually is the business model of Broad and Michaela? Like, are you taking uh, sponsorships from, from brands or how does it work? Yeah, I mean, brands kind of joke that like we're one part Marvel, one part CAA. That's like not entirely inaccurate in that, you know, we've got this talent, you know, really in Michaela who speaks Mandarin, Portuguese, English, Spanish, that you can do photo shoots in like London, Shanghai, New York at the same time. <laughs> And so we definitely explore those opportunities. But, you know, Michaela's done, you know, deals with, with Prada, which is, you know, part of their fashion show stuff. Obviously, like Samsung campaigns, Calvin Klein stuff. So really, we, we view Michaela's business and our business right now not entirely different than you would if you were working with, um, you know, RAC or like other artists. But um, the dream is to really like build out a talent that can do things traditional talent never dreamed of. Um, you know, we've had times where Michaela's chatting with like thousands of people concurrently. I can imagine that can be, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not million eventually. And mm. so, um, yeah, business model is like tell compelling stories, create characters people love, and then find ways to provide joy to those fans by selling them things or by working with partners. Awesome. Um, okay. And then looking forward, like how, how does Michaela start to leverage other technologies? Like obviously, you know, crypto and, and blockchain. 
Yeah. So I spend a lot of my waking hours thinking about how to build a better world for creative people. Um, you know, we kind of live in this forever 21 economy where a lot of people are coming up with these ideas and a lot of the values being captured by people that are kind of fast following and emulating what they're doing. Um, you know, I've got a good group chat going with, with Dre and, and, and uh, a lot of homies that are in music, you know, plowed others talking about how crypto can enable uh, especially musicians and artists to capture some of the value that otherwise is leaking out into, um, you know, kind of middleman or kind of rent seeking folks. Michaela's an really interesting opportunity in that like I've always been interested in kind of carving out and establishing what we're doing almost as like a platform such that, um, you know, creative people can have like effectively a heat shield or kind of like an intermediary between them and the public. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen, there's a really interesting Vanity Fair series where they interviewed Billie Eilish every year after she kind of first you know, got a little bit of fame. And I think she's 15, the first one, 16 and 17. And that's kind of like the best case scenario for an artist. It's like a, a young artist and their family member making songs in their bedroom, having truly outsized success. And still you see the amount of like, you know, just the burden that fame and all this pressure puts on a young person. And so the idea that you can create things and you can put them into the world and have kind of this intermediary with like a character or what my friend Toby would call a headless brand um, that to me is really intriguing. And so crypto also allows for you to create this entity like a Michaela, you know, build all of this value and like build a fan base around it. And then think about how you could create secondary markets for places that are probably like atypical or not traditional. So, you know, we're talking with super rare about like monetizing a lot of the imagery and like, you know, we're really interested in allowing fans to like collect these images that like, you know, we care so much about as a team. Um, we're also interested in thinking about creating secondary markets for like follows or likes or all of these things that seem to be appreciating value as more and more of like our meat space value shifts into this kind of like virtual and ethereal stuff. And so we're, we're just starting to make sense of this, but like that's kind of why our company exists to go like, you know, kick open doors, try new things and try to create playbooks for creators and artists and innovators. Super interesting. So basically, okay. So what the way that uh, you can leverage crypto and blockchain technology with Michaela is to use um, these open markets as a way to distribute um, her her stuff, like her um, uh, swag, uh, like clothes uh, she wears, um, and and even even things like like likes and follows. So so using a, an open market like super rare to do that. Yeah, I mean the options are endless. You know, you could think about some of these these, these personal tokens versus like social tokens. You could imagine a world where like Michaela tokens are you know being used to drive her narrative, right? Where like mm-hmm. we can effectively propose almost like in a governance model, like where these narrative twists and turns are going to go, and fans could go and like vote based on how much stake they have in like you know her world, her universe. Um, you know, the, the, the options are, are somewhat endless. What we're exploring immediately are things that are probably more literal comps for like more traditional human artists, mm-hmm. because we think it actually is like important to kind of expand all of these mechanics and all of these interesting uh, new tools to people outside of just like the, the virtual artist space. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to start there. But man, like we can go nuts. I think about this stuff every day. You know, Michaela's like doing incredibly well in Audius and got mm-hmm. like a, a really nice share of the tokens that they dropped. So like we're thinking about now how we can use those in clever ways to incentivize more people to join the platform. So it really goes on and on and on. So you talked about um, uh, bringing in like non-crypto artists into this. So like how exactly are you planning on doing it? 
I mean, I'm obviously like big into crypto and have, have been for a long time. And so a lot of that stuff is, is, is happening both like directly inside the organization and externally. Um, you know, I have this, this community token called Friends with Benefits, FWB, that's explicitly about pulling, you know, folks from the culture or industries uh, into crypto and kind of creating a safe space to ask them questions and figure out like, you know, how NFTs work or what the real value is or like, you know, DeFi is moving so fast. Is there a place people can ask questions mm-hmm. so they can keep up you know, outside of subscribing to your newsletter and listening to the podcast, obviously. <laughs> um, and so I think it gets kind of twofold, right? So with Michaela, we, we're, we, we've built a culture in our, in our company and our organization about exploring kind of frontier ideas in ways that are quite accessible. You know, we're talking about pretty dense concepts. You know, identity, reality can get very Baudrillard very quickly. But if we present it in ways that young people can understand, all of a sudden they can come for you, with you on that ride and start to kind of explore things in, in, in novel ways as well. Um, and we're interested in doing that thing from an economic point of view as well. And so like even the ability to say, hey, yes, we've created these images that are part of this narrative and you're now going to be able to purchase them on, on a market like super rare, I think it is pretty novel and it shouldn't be. And so like we're going to go out, we're going to test those waters. And if, if things work out, then like go and message that to the broader community and say, hey, your fans, your community that can participate in, in your world in, in different ways. Here's one of them. Um, you know, we're also, again, like really interested in figuring out if some of these behaviors that are so important, like, you know, what's the Michaela follow worth? Are there ways to kind of like sell those things, maybe donate some of those, that, some of that money to people who are building on top of Ethereum or whatever? Like that's the stuff where we can create these interesting flywheels, a lot of people to like build more effective channels for artists and for people that are really innovating. Very cool. Um, do you have a date for the first Michaela Super Rare drop? Uh, you know, I, I wonder if I should announce it on air. I think I think we are going to do um, the the thirty first. I think it should. I'll need to double check. We should probably go back and fix this. My my PR team's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, thirtieth or thirty first. Oh, awesome. um, all that is to say, um, shortly after us recording this pod, and we'll we'll go out and we'll post some things, and I'm sure we'll amplify it on socials. Of course. No, super exciting. Um, th- this whole I- intersection of like an AI generated or like digital um, character on Instagram using crypto and kind of DeFi, you know, like open uh, markets to to monetize and, and to sell uh, some of these products is, is just incredible. And then, you know, looking forward, um, th- this idea of like, uh, a tokenized, tokenized way of participating in her storyline and just like bringing her fans in uh, into that narrative is is so fascinating. It, it's just, you know, it, it kind of blows my mind uh, where this space is going. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Crazy. I also see like the proliferation of like K-pop, you know, like mm-hmm. that's like a really interesting model for, for creating and, you know, like effectively finding young people that are talented in like a middle school and then partnering them with, you know, composers or choreographers, producers, writers, mm-hmm. you know, PR folks, media training people, all of a sudden all of this value is accruing in this one vehicle. You know, it'd be great if, 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 if there were ways to kind of make that vehicle something that could live forever. And that's kind of what we're exploring then. And then all of a sudden say, okay, if you have this vehicle for all of this talent, are there ways to then like turn that into dollars so that that, that group can continue to create and all that's being unpacked right now. It's really exciting. Um. Do you have any, do you have like critics who will come out and say like, but you know, this is not real, like you're tricking people or I don't know, like what, what, what's kind of the, the backlash that you get for this? 
Yeah, I mean, we get tons. I think if, if you're not getting, you know, critics, you're probably not doing anything that matters and not doing anything that you should be doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's tons. I think like one of my, there seems to be a real disconnect and it's something that I love to explore just, you know, from a sociological point of view or something in that my peers, I'm, I'm 34, people that are kind of around my age group and older, they really struggle to understand like why someone would be a fan of like a virtual character. Mm-hmm. Um, they also worry that like it's, it's being inauthentic. It's like we're being deceptive. Right. And what's fun is that like the young people, some of them who's like their first friends were Roblox players or, you know, Minecraft players. Like it's very natural to have this relationship. And I think beyond that, they actually get to use uh, the narrative as a way of kind of like sorting out who is, you know, kind of like internet native or kind of like a part of their world and who isn't. And I oftentimes see in like Michaela comments, young kids be like, Michaela, I saw you today at the Beverly Center or something like that. You know, knowing very well that they didn't. And then other kids be like, oh my God, I saw her there too. And then have Mm -hmm. some kind of like boomer old person be like, no, you didn't. This is fake. And they're like, no, you're fake. Like just trolling (laughs) and kind of like baiting people into these conversations. And I think it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Other commentary we get a lot, you know, I think is like, you know, is this like virtual influencers? Who needs that? You know, and I think like, we've never really been interested in building virtual influencers. I think like that, that language I have no problem with, but at the same time, like we're interested in telling stories. And I think once people get in and they discover the fan wikis and like the fan discords and the communities and people paying attention to these like, you know, intertwined narratives and shouting out like Angel Boy and like Blocko and Bermuda and the rest of Michaela's world, they recognize that like this is actually this like interesting little like narrative universe that's kind of like impenetrable to them because they don't have like the kind of understood behaviors of like scrolling back to an Instagram feed or how to like navigate a discord. It's kind of a safe space for young people because it is kind of like built for them. Right. And so do you see Michaela kind of just staying with this age group or will it grow as with its audience as it's as her audience grows? Yeah. So Michaela's 19 forever. Um, and mm-hmm. that's part of like her narrative, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's been, it's been fun to watch because it's, you know, we're four years in and like a lot of the kids have grown with Michaela. Some of them have grown up and out and have kind of been more focused on like our company, for instance, like mm-hmm. they weren't interested in the mechanics and our company lives in the narrative as well. Um, but we kind of leave it up to each individual person. Like I have friends that go to Disneyland or when they could, you know, every weekend, like they're real Disney freaks mm-hmm. well into their thirties. They're part of like these gangs of Disneyland and stuff, which I never necessarily, you know, subscribe to, but like, I, I'm all for us being able to have some like 50th anniversary where there's a bunch of like gray hair people hanging out, singing Michaela songs and reminiscing <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> um, have you explored like virtual reality as well with this? Yeah, so we're, we're really excited about that metaverse future. And I think, you know, that, that's a, one of the reasons our organization exists is mm. we're, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, um, you know, I kind of more broadly call it like spatial computing. That really feels like the next, the next wave of, of computing, the real big shift that's coming. And mm. we want to be a part of those conversations. And, you know, what we've tried to do is think about what interfaces look like now on mobile or on desktop and what they're going to look like in the future. And, you know, I've always believed that if we move into a more spatial kind of like augmented reality world where we have some heads up display and we're kind of navigating our lives with a digital layer on top of it, I'd imagine the interface feeling more like a hostess at a restaurant where you walk in and they're like, hey, you can take a seat here. Here are two mm-hmm. menus, you know, restrooms are over there to help you navigate the space. It's so open-ended. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of start establishing some of those behaviors. If we can create characters that have huge fan bases on the platforms that exist today and are actually, you know, built for the platform tomorrow, 
maybe we can help connect those dots again and kind of bring people across that bridge from TikTok to this kind of open metaverse of the future. Mm. And I mean, I, I can see perfectly how um, crypto would, would fit into that, into this metaverse where people are actually owners of the digital assets that they're using there. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's funny, like, on, like one of our last pitch decks, there was, and then the last Bitcoin pump, it's like a CNBC mm -hmm. thing where like they're asking Pitbull, like what his biggest like wealth mistake was. And he was like, man, Bitcoin, I never got into <laughs> Bitcoin. And like, it's, it feels really prescient because he was like, You know, most people don't know, but like virtual is becoming real. It's like, it's, it's more and more virtual every day as we mm -hmm. sit and like live our lives on Zoom. Yes. Uh, and so like crypto obviously is a big part of that. I think as we move into these economies that exist kind of in these like metaverse or kind of like virtual spaces, having programmable money and being able to create economies around all these things and things we can't even imagine. I mean, it, it, it's been very exciting for me since I first kind of started dipping my toes in the waters. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so you mentioned Friends with Benefits, your social token. Um, can you tell me more about that? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I guess that came to be as kind of this, this MVP, this proof of concept. It's like a pretty simple idea, right? There's a fixed amount of tokens that exist, um, you know, dollar sign FWB. And if, if, if we basically created this, this social network of sorts, just a private Discord, where it costs a certain amount of tokens to be in this Discord, And, you know, basically try to create more demand by adding value to that network by, you know, writing articles or sharing good content or inviting good people. Then, you know, as people bought into joining that community, their, their, their bags would grow. Like the value of their tokens would increase over time. And so it was like a pretty simple concept, this idea of like, hey, as creative people, we've been creating all this value for Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever. And very little of it actually accrues to us what if we just tried to MVP out like a different model and, and see how it goes. And I just mm -hmm. like, you know, actually minted a token on roll quite quickly, mm -hmm. you know, hacked together a little collab.land connection and said like, Hey friends, come join. And now we've got this really robust community full of people from all different walks of life, you know, uh, like from, you know, crypto VC folks, Jesse Walden's in there holding it down, you know, Matt from paradigm um, to kind of like thought leaders like Toby Shorin. And then what I love is a kind of connective tissue in between people like, Matt Dryhurst and Holly Herdman who are in there like talking about where culture and crypto overlap and then people who live totally outside of crypto who just have questions so um you know like some of my, my music friends my friend Marina Contro is in there she's a weaver she went to school to learn how to like weave traditional garments and is like oh, wow. as as kind of like Luddite as, as it comes and probably self-described but she was really intrigued on like mm. how to build a better future for artists and creators and wanted to get in the mix and so like mm you know, sent us some tutorials and she figured out how to buy Ethereum and, you know, got on Uniswap and traded with some FWB. And now she's in there having these conversations that hopefully will like, you know, create more value that she can participate on in down the road. And so it, it's been a, it's been a really intriguing thing. If anyone that wants to join fwb.help, that's all the info you need. And you're all probably, you know, pretty crypto savvy. So you know how to get it in that time. <laughs> Very cool. Um, when did you launch this? Oh man, I feel like time has just been flat for a moment now but i think we're probably two and a half three months in uh okay. that's a good question um i've just been living at home staring at zoom screens for what feels like a year so <laughs> at some point it's hard in that, to tell time <laughs> right at now. some point in that we got that going yeah but um yeah probably about three months in now and how and, many uh, people are in there should take a look um i think it's close to 300 now mm -hmm. it's probably a real core group of like 160 that are pretty active Um, you know, again, like it's been amazing to watch different people come together, lots of music producers, you know, Calvin is a very good friend, head of strategy at Compound is in there, 
Um, you know, obviously you know, Dre, RAC is in there, Boys Noise. Um, you know, we've got a good group Very who are fun. really like, you know, contributing in really, I think, unique ways to the crypto space. And how... Um how do you manage to 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 keep like all these different people kind of engaged with with the discord like um if you can just like yeah tell me more about your experience in community building because it's a little bit different from what you were doing before yeah i mean and like that's this it, you know it feels probably more like running a nightclub than anything <laughs> i've ever done in my life which i never really did mm -hmm. but we've been pretty intentional like we didn't go very wide very quickly because it's pretty slow we tried to create a tone and kind of a culture mm -hmm. and we even have a situation in there unlike most discords where like most people put their their real name as their nickname mm -hmm. and they put a little like dash and then their twitter username mm -hmm. so there's a sense of identity and kind of community that like okay i know this person they can kind of be held accountable they're going to be trolling Mm. Um, beyond that, what we've really tried to do is just like listen to people, like, mm. you know, try to like um, figure out what people thought, thought could be interesting and like try to create value accordingly. Um, we've got a little area of it called rough drafts where we basically, you know, go and engage our favorite writers and say, hey, there isn't really a thing that exists between like a blog post and a tweet, but I actually wanted to create a space where people could go and they could just pour out an idea. And in rough drafts, we have this format where it has to kind of start and end in less than an hour. It needs to be an unfinished thought. And everyone in the community kind of approaches that unfinished thought in, in good faith, but kind of interrogates it. And so mm. this idea that you can be like, hey, you know, I feel like crypto really isn't as democratic or meritocratic as I would like. And here's the reason X, Y, or Z. Push it out into the group and have people kind of poke at it and help kind of battle test your idea. So it can then go live somewhere else as a proper Substack post or a blog. Oh, very cool. That's yeah. like a, a, an easy way to get feedback on, on your writing. Yeah, and a lot of that's just talking to friends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, Ethan, you know, is, is, a, is a dev in, in our group, a Solidity dev, and he's been working on a thing that's basically going to allow for us to weekly go and basically, you know, aggregate who got the most upvotes. We have an FWB kind of like community upvote mm -hmm. and then distribute free FWB weekly to people who are kind of contributing the most to the group. And so just trying to figure out mechanics to pass value back to people that are like doing good things. And like, I'm sure we'll fall on our face and like get it wrong a lot. Mm -hmm. But um, so far, it's been a, a really, really positive force and I think all of our lives. And it's, it's something I look forward to, like, waking up and looking at the memes channel or whatever it is. Very cool. Um, so, okay, so you, you mentioned, like, these different um, tools and mechanics that you have inside the Discord. Like, like technically, how are you doing this? Like, are you using, uh, like, a special software? Like, do you have a developer working with you? Yeah. So what's funny is it's a bunch of friends kind of like noodling. And so we do, you know, weekly staff chats and we'll get in there and we'll kind of talk about things. And like a lot of them, like even rough drafts, that's like just pretty manual. We just created a mm -hmm. private little group, a private little channel and people are in there and we're commissioning stuff pretty manually. And then as things like that start to gain traction, sort of think about how can we automate them. Mm -hmm. um, the upvoting thing is, is really a conversation which is had amongst us. And then, then, you know, Ethan, I don't know if he wants me to like, you know, shout about too hard, but he's been really incredible. Like nights and weekends, just hacking away at things like, non-trivial stuff a lot of these ideas i was like yeah it'll be easy and then you get into it and you're like oh oh yeah that that's gonna be <laughs> tricky to solve for um and so he's been hacking away and is, is extremely talented and i think that kind of speaks to this community it's a thing that we all want to see exist and so we're figuring out different ways to contribute um a lot of music producers sharing music production tips um you know like a lot of option and like crypto trading for people that have never done that stuff mm. a lot of hand holding there and that's a great way to provide value i mean it's kind of room for everybody to come in and like share their expertise and, you know, share how they're feeling about whatever's happening in the world. 
Um, so and you mentioned that you were also planning to use FWB as a way to reward different creators. Is that happening? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so immediately we're already using it to like pay for rough drafts or like, okay. you know, when people want to contribute and do things like that, there's a tipping functionality in there as of like today, which mm -hmm. is cool. Um, but yeah, I think a really simple way is to kind of like explore, I think what like Reddit would love to do where it's like, okay, if you're posting great stuff and you're getting upvoted a lot by the community as a, as a certain allotment of tokens that we're going to give away weekly, and you can then go and basically claim your chunk of them based on what rank you are and who's added the most value that week. Um, there's already a fair amount of liquidity, which is awesome. And mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a path to this being a space for people who can like kind of spend their, their waking hours contributing and kind of adding value to this community and seeing their bags grow week to week. Mm, very cool. Um, okay. So, so far, I mean, you haven't been doing this for, for too long, but um, what sort of lessons are, are you getting from having your own social tokens and um, how do you think creators can leverage this? tool yeah i think i mean there, there are so many ways that creators can leverage this tool and it's been pretty inspiring to watch people approach it from different point of views i, I think my advice in this space is like figure out a novel way where like you can really kind of explore some of your strengths i recognized early on that the crypto chats that i were have that i was having you know just personally were very different than a lot of like the telegrams or like whatsapps or whatever that i was in um mm -hmm. most of those were a lot of like heavy DeFi talk and people that have come from technology or finance And then, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, it was people saying like, hey, I haven't been able to like tour for six, seven months. Like, I hear you talking about yield farming. Like, what is that, you know? <laughs> and is there any way that I could do something like that with like my craft and my art? And so that was, that was our, my dream. Was like, let's find a place for, for culture and, and crypto to collide. Um, the biggest learning for me is I think in any of these things, you know, like governance and figuring out how to scale a community is going to be the hardest part. And I'm, and I'm sure it's the same thing that a lot of these like protocol level folks are, are navigating is like, yeah, it's, it's really hard to try to like build something that's going to like solve for everyone's problems. And so I think instead, you know, communicating really effectively early on, like this is what the space exists for. And we're not going to be able to solve for all these other kind of like secondary things, but we're really going to focus hard on this thing. And if you're into that, like come get in has been, I think a boon for us thus far. Mm. And okay, so you mentioned uh, governance and, and scaling. Do you see your Discord channel becoming something bigger that kind of requires this? Yeah, I mean, I think the dream for us is to figure out ways to like look at all of our extended social graphs and like all the things that we care about and figure out ways how to support like our friends, like as cliche as it sounds like to be mm -hmm. friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, I've got lots of peers who are building technology businesses and SaaS software. Is there a world where like you can auth in with your MetaMask wallet and if you're holding more than 50 FWB, like you get discounts or you get access mm -hmm. to their content or whatever it is, like absolutely. And then in some ways it kind of becomes like, you know, this, this, you know, like, This, this, this so house of sorts, right? Where there's like all this value, this private members club that like accrues to these people who have been believers. And it's like, you know, probably most cost effective to get in now versus down the road. And so mm. we'll see. Again, because then you have like, like, if you get to a place where like you need X amount of dollars to get into the space, well, then you kind of have these nightclub dynamics where it's like all these cheese, cheese balls with bottle service. Right. And you mm -hmm. want to maintain some of the, cl the clarity of the community and the value. And so this is something you're constantly juggling. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're new to it, but we're like falling on our face and learning and trying to make it as, as good as it can be. That, that's an interesting like uh, and a hard balance to, to strike, because if like the only thing that is 
kind of um, that's the barrier to entry to, to these uh, channels is, you know, just a token price. Then, you know, if this thing grows enough, then, okay, then anyone can, can go in, anyone that has the money can go in. And so how do you make sure that the group stays you know, um, keeps its culture, its voice, like it doesn't, that it doesn't get too big and, and too noisy. Yeah, I think an important thing here is establishing values and rules, right? Where it's like, if you're not aligned with these values and rules, like there's a low barrier to entry, but there's even lower barrier to getting like kicked out. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I think you've got to be pretty like, um, you know, thoughtful about pruning the community and making sure that like bad actors get handled and don't kind of like create like some insidious little cancer that can make the play the place no one wants to be. Mm. Um, the plus side of that is like thinking about how to maintain that culture by like getting the right bodies in there one way or another and the right mm. minds in there one way or another. So like, mm. you know, we've been doing some lectures, um, some like audio lectures of people coming in the voice chat and we're granting them tokens to get them in there because those are opinions that we want. And, you know, trying to create some, some like diversity, both, you know, thought and even like demographically, you know, people in different parts of the world would, mm. would be great. And so that's all the stuff that we definitely don't have all the answers to but things that we're going to be like brainstorming and riffing on and trying to figure out. Okay. That's interesting. So bringing specific people that you want in the group on and also weeding kind of the trolls out as well. That's the idea. And I yeah. think if, if anybody had community figured out, we wouldn't be staring at all these think pieces about how toxic social media is. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> yeah. We're going to do our damage to keep it a sacred space. And another, another point that's super interesting that you mentioned is how this um, creates this kind of group of people that can be identified because of the token and then other groups can maybe tip this group. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a company or a project and you want to have access to the Friends with Benefits group, then you can just like airdrop um, NFTs or tokens uh, to them. And I, I've heard this concept before and it's just, you know, kind of mind-blowing that it it really um, turns advertising on its head, you know? Uh, it, it really provides this like direct link of companies to audiences uh, without having to have like a Facebook in between. Agreed, yeah. And you know, we really try to operate from kind of like a pretty simple kind of first principles world where it's like, okay, how do we create value in this community in the most like simple ways? Usually it's like via content because most of us are creators. But I get really excited about that stuff. I remember a friend of mine, Joe, created a company called Clout, K-L-O-U-T, back in the day. Mm, I remember and it. Yeah. yeah, I would look at your social graph and try to determine like where you had influence and then brands could interface with you and give you free pop chips or tickets to a game or whatever it was. And there, there, there probably is a world where, you know, brands, communities, whatever, are kind of vying for these, these different groups and able to engage with them, you know, via these, these wallet addresses such that they can like just airdrop, you know, NFT of some past to some event or whatever it is. And um, yeah, it, it gets, gets pretty, I mean, that's the thing with crypto is it's so vast, options are so endless, they can be kind of like, you know, mind numbing because you don't know where to start or where to, you know, where to really kick things off. But you're absolutely right. The options are endless and it's, it's going to be a pretty weird, awesome future. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I wanted to briefly touch on your own um, crypto investments. I, I read that you you invested in Sora and in other uh, social tokens. So, you know, wanted to see kind of um, what what drove those investments and uh, what else is looking interesting to you in kind of the crypto world? Yeah, I think what, what drove those investments is, is, is just kind of this 
same thing where I wake up every morning thinking about how to better support people who are truly innovating and creating new things. And like, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I met Jacob and Dee and, and we were talking for a bit and it became clear that these folks were like, you know, doing really interesting stuff. And I, I wanted to bet on them and try to be helpful, and especially in like kind of connecting them to artists outside of crypto and outside of their immediate crypto community. And so that's where I could add a lot of value. Um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of different folks in the space from like, you know, super rare folks. I was able to make an investment, which is awesome. Like, I'm, I'm really, I feel like I was like DeFi pilled early on. I got to ride that wave and maybe miss some of the NFT craze. And so I've been like playing catch up and trying to learn as much as I can in that space. Um, you know, outside of that, I do a lot of tech investing as well, kind of traditional consumer and enterprise stuff. Um, just little angel checks because I think, you know, it's important to support founders. I've been very lucky to, to raise capital from some, some great investors. And it's been like really meaningful for me to kind of like pass that back on to people and take, you know, risks and bet on people who I think are smart and have crazy ideas, especially when people can play it quite safe if they're investing. But um, yeah, I'm also just like, you know, trading shit coins and like, you know, in groups and like, you know, I, I love participating in the space because mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it's moving so fast that like, you know, the soap operas unfold in these ways that are like really engaging from like a narrative point of view, mm-hmm. but also have these larger implications in this kind of like economic and kind of like future of the space point of view that it's, it's, it's really fun every day. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, I agree. Okay. And then to wrap up, like looking at the future of this intersection between crypto and culture, um, what is kind of the, the the big trend that you're seeing unfold? Like, say in, in the next year or so, um, where do you think um, this is this is going? Wow, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like there was a lot of talk about institutional money coming in years ago, but it certainly mm-hmm. feels like institutional dollars are starting to pour in, and mm-hmm. the more validation I think you know Bitcoin and then Ethereum gets from these um, kind of graybeards and these older folks is going to allow for, I would say like, you know, organizations like, you know, more traditional fintech or consumer applications and kind of like, you know, like, you know, tech world to take risks and kind of make bets to the kind of person that like, like Jack Dorsey is, is making. And so I'm actually really intrigued as to see like some of this layer two stuff gets all for, and we kind of get like the throughput some applications need to kind of introduce it to the, the average end consumer. Like, what spaces move on it first. Um, obviously lots of talk about like the Reddit to the world and like other kind of applications that have mechanics that would port themselves really naturally. But um, you know, I, I am I'm a believer that you're gonna see some some like some kind of like curveball startup folks take some risks. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's a and find a way to kind of unwind some of the network effects that have trapped us in um the larger social media players for a long time. I think being able to to partner like the network effects with the kind of like real value piece is going to allow for a shakeup. Like I think we desperately need and the internet desperately needs. Um, yeah. I probably shouldn't talk too much about what my friend Dennis is building, but he's like live tweeting it unfolding as, as mirror. Um, mm. And, and um, I forget, I think he's just at literature on Twitter, yeah. but um, I would definitely check that out and follow along. I think he's building something really meaningful. Something that's going to shake things up quite a bit. Mm. So, so interesting. So, so really kind of, bigger um like more mainstream companies maybe adopting some of these tools um more institutional uh, money coming in um and and just hopefully seeing more um more mainstream people uh leveraging all all this uh which you know could could uh, really um be, be very empowering right for artists and creators 
Yeah, and I think like I, I'm I'm probably on the other end of like the spectrum of most crypto folks, and I think it's going to take some real time. But mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm really excited to watch kind of like institutional players and people come in and kind of dip their toes in the water and get burned or like you know screw up or figure some things out, and then just kind of like basically allow for you know senior executives these organizations to like make mistakes but have the parachute and that like somebody else smart tried this and they made the same mistake because mm-hmm. i think a lot of these places are still kind of like dominated by fear and you don't want to take risks and be fired but if other people are taking those risks you kind of have this kind of like strength in numbers mm-hmm. where you kind of can't all get fired because everybody was doing it and so yeah that's the kind of thing i'm probably most excited about in the immediate future is people getting any paypal right that's so exciting but like yeah. people like PayPal sticking their neck out and saying, hey, we're going to try this thing. Probably get roasted for not being like, not letting people own their keys or whatever, but like, that's this journey. You know, people yeah. are going to figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's, um, what's the saying? Like, uh, suddenly and then everyone at once or something and then all at once. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly that, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to move quite slow and then all of a sudden I feel like it's just going to come pouring in, which yeah. is, you know. I think people have been saying that for a long time now, but I'm still a believer. <laughs> yeah, same here. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Trevor. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. Sapper wants to be your hub for decentralized finance at sapper.fi. Sapper allows you to connect to as many Ethereum wallets as you'd like and instantly see a snapshot of your DeFi portfolio, including all your DeFi assets, liabilities, and how money is invested across yield farming, liquidity pools, lending, staking, and more. You can also use DeFi SAPs by Sapper to SAP in and out of liquidity positions in Curve, Balancer, Uniswap, and Yearn Finance. Whether you're new to DeFi or a master, try Sapper on Ethereum today at sapper.fi. NEAR Protocol is now fully decentralized and live on mainnet. NEAR is a scalable, public, proof-of-stake blockchain that plays nicely with Ethereum, but offers higher performance, much lower fees, and a smooth user experience. Smart contracts are rewarded with 30% of the gas fees they generate. There is no limit on the network's capacity with one-second block time. With this, NEAR is creating a built-in business model that scales with usage. Find out more at near.org. So Rare is a global fantasy football game where you can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed cards on Ethereum. They've partnered with over 100 football clubs, including Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, and Atletico Madrid. Try with 10 free cards by signing up to So Rare with the link sorare.com slash question mark referrer equals the defiance. That's sorare.com slash question mark R-E-F-E-R-R-E-R equals the defiant. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.